Um, thanks to Zocalo for, uh, for putting this on. Um, I, I have the great pleasure of introducing this panel. Um, the, the question, I think the somewhat provocative question, and I hope we'll get more focus than this, uh, that, uh, that we built the panel around is, are teachers unions too powerful or not powerful enough? Um, I'm really hoping to get beyond some of the bluster that we often hear about unions and get at the true nature uh, and the potential of, of teachers unions. Um, you know, we often hear complaints from, from politicians or, or folks who, uh, you know, call themselves education reformers about the power of teachers unions to dominate elections um, and dominate uh, life in the classroom, yet we still have, you know, a, a state and a society where teachers don't often have power, uh, don't have the power to receive pay commensurate with their education or the institutional support and instructional resources they need, or even, at least in Los Angeles recently, accurate paychecks. Um, uh, this is a really exciting only in Southern California panel, and um, we have uh, two union leaders here tonight, and they really are leaders, who are also something of a rare uh, breed. They're, they're both um, creatures not of the union hall, but of the classroom, and they both taught in the very school districts in which they grew up attending school. Um, it's unusual. Um, we also have a man who's a, who's a leader in education reform in the, in the charter school movement, and we have, um, for my money, one of the great personalities of Los Angeles politics and education. Um, fellow has been a teacher, a, a coach, a school board member, and um, now I'm not quite sure he seems to have about a half dozen different jobs. Um, so, and and I, what I really like about this group is that we don't have peer advocates. Um, we've got people who have been uh, sort of friend and foe, uh, critic and supporter, um, and I'm hopeful we'll have really a, a deep, balanced, and thoughtful discussions about unions as they are and, and, and as they should be. Um, Josh, Josh Peshtalt, is uh, the UTLA AFT vice president, I believe, at uh, United Teachers Los Angeles. Um, that's, uh, the, when people talk about the AFT, that means that uh, there's an AFT side and there's a, an NEA side. UTLA is that rare teachers union uh, that is affiliated with both national unions. Um, he uh, attended a bunch of local schools. He was born and raised in both LA and Columbia and attended local schools including John Burroughs Middle School and Fairfax High School. Um, he taught uh, ESL for two years in Cali, Columbia, and, and he also taught for 21 years at Manual Arts. Um, and he was a true union dissident for many years, um, a member of the House of Representatives since 1985, and uh, leaders of the 1989 strike, where he worked closely with some UTLA staff member named Antonio oh, Villa something. Guy, what happened to him? Um, uh, that's Josh to my, to my right. Um, and then uh, to my left, I've got uh, uh, Mickey uh, Chahusky, I hope I'm getting that right, who's an educator at the Youth Services Program in the San Bernardino City Unified School District and is a, a member of the California, a board member of the California Teachers Association. She's got 18 years of education experience. Uh, she represents teachers in most of the, the Inland Empire, San Bernardino and Riverside counties. Um, and her duties with youth services have focused on disciplinary attendance and child welfare issues. She also previously taught elementary and middle school um, as a past president of the San Bernardino uh, Teachers Association. Um, to my far left, uh, Steve Barr is the founder and uh, uh, CEO of Green Dot Public Schools. He started in 1999. Uh, really with the vision idea of transforming secondary education in California by creating a number of high-performing charter schools. Um, charter schools are, are public schools, uh, just so everyone's clear. 
Um, Green Dots built one of the first comprehensive high schools in the LA area in 30 years. It did that in the fall of 2000 and a second high school in 2002. And you now have got 18, is that right? 18. 19, okay. Um, High-performing public charter high schools. Um, uh, before that, um, uh, Steve was one of the co-founders of Rock the Vote um, and uh, was very instrumental in the passage of the Motor Voter Bill. Um, a lot of folks, uh, millions of folks registered to vote as a result of that. Um, and finally, um, David Tukovsky, um, you know, which I, I expect a lot of people in this room know, um, taught social studies in English. Um, as a second language courses at John Marshall High School for 12 years. He coached the, uh, the Los Angeles Unified School District's first national academic decathlon championship team in 1987. Um, and he spent 12 uh, short uh, years, it went so fast, you barely knew it, on the, uh, on the uh, school board here. Um, I want to start, thank you, uh, how about a hand for this panel? Um, I want to start by jo with Josh um, by asking to describe in 30 seconds or less the complex democratic governance of UTLA. Uh, no, um, uh, we don't have time for that. No, we so, don't. No, we don't. Um, Josh, you, you spent a fair amount of time in, in something in the wilderness. Uh, you know, it, uh, you studied teachers' unions, you wrote about them. Um, I think you once staged your own one day strike of I, sorts. Yes, we did. Yes, um, we and, um, and, and you really sort of fought for change in your union. And then in a union election some years ago, not too many years ago, you and a slate of dissidents quite unexpectedly and shockingly won. Uh, I, I wondered if you could talk, and I guess with some, uh, with a little bit of history about what you see as the traditional model of a teacher's union and what, you know, what was wrong with it. Right. Uh, thanks, Joe. Thanks for inviting me to be on this panel. Um, and first, I want to apologize. I have a slight cold, so throughout the evening, you're going to hear somebody sniffing, and I want to just cop to it up front. It'll be me. Um, well, Teacher unions, I think like all unions, have traditionally been focused on bread and butter issues. Um, and when I came into teaching uh, more than 20 some years ago, uh, we saw a teacher union that um, really was doing a decent job at that point of focusing on raising salaries and, uh, and getting teachers their health benefits, but was making no effort at that point to reach out to parents, to build alliances with community, um, and deal with the issues that we thought uh, needed to be dealt with, things like class size, uh, the issues that were affecting kids in the classroom, which seemed to be difficult to achieve. Uh, LA, for example, to reduce class size by one student across the district is a $40 million item, a $25 million item. So you, one doesn't do that uh, easily. But we knew that given the, uh, the state of uh, the economy, um, that in order to fundamentally change public education, to make it a real priority, we were going to have to build a very powerful parent-community-teacher alliance that could begin to challenge the kinds of priorities at the state level that teacher unions really had not taken on. Um, and so um, we we believed that there needed to be, an, uh, we needed to forge sort of bread and butter teacher unionism with social justice unionism. And that that had to happen quickly. 
Uh, and, the, and the longer that would take, teachers were going to become more politically isolated. We were going to see conditions in the classroom to deteriorate. Um, and we would be seen as sort of those greedy teachers not concerned about anything else. And so that's what we began to organize around and put out sort of an opposition newsletter. And, um, and it took many years, but I think we, we finally had some success in beginning to move that political project. What, what sorts of things, you know, in, you know, be very specific. What do you, what do you mean? What sorts of, what does is, what is that organizing look like? I mean, well, um, it's what... Uh, you know, all union members, uh, sort of the basics of uh, organizing. Uh, sitting First, we developed a regular newsletter. We, we needed to, especially in a district like uh, Los Angeles Unified, over 700 schools. Uh, at that point, there were over 30,000 teachers. Now there were over 45,000 teachers, over 700,000 students. You're talking about a geographic area that, you know, rivals some states. So... Uh, you needed to be able to get your message out, to, to begin to make contact with people and show them that there were teachers who had a different point of view. And be, so that, that was a very important part of what we did. And we, we regularized that. We uh, began to distribute 10,000 newsletters uh, every few months. Uh, but it also meant organizing around very specific issues. Uh, the, the one that really touches home with union members is around contracts. And so when contracts would come up that we thought were inadequate, we would organize around those and pull together teachers um, and, and, you know, offer some opposition. Uh, various uh, reforms came down uh, from the leadership uh, that we thought uh, were ultimately destructive, and we would organize around that. So we began to develop a permanent presence as sort of the uh, alternate voice, uh, what do we call ourselves, the, uh, the other voice within UTLA, um, and, you know, holding meetings, going into the workplace, sitting down with teachers one-on-one, -on -one, winning people over to this idea that uh, we could have a union that could do a lot more, that could really begin to change conditions in the communities in which we lived, uh, but that needed to be an explicit goal of the union, and uh, ultimately we were successful in at least winning office. I don't think that that means that we're, we've been ultimately successful in, in achieving what we want, because that is a huge F goal, but I think we've made some important steps. Let me um, um, uh, throw this to, to Mickey and, and try to get a little bit reaction to what Josh has said. I, you know, my experience as a reporter covering a, a state capital, um, you know, CTO is always a, the most serious, strategic player in, you know, in big issues in the state capital of any. And I wonder, you know, does, what, what do you think of the notion of broader social justice? Does that, is that, is that part of the mission of CTA should be part of the mission of a teacher's union or does that, does that make, is that too broad? Is that, is it, is it too hard to have that kind of broader mission and do the, the basic fundamental things that, that unions do? Well, we've always, um, CTA has always had social justice as part of its platform. Um, it, from a document that was written in 1998, or pr published in 1998, it says the California Teachers Association exists to protect and promote the well-being of its members, to advance the cause of free, universal, and quality public education, to ensure that human dignity and civil rights of all children and youth are, and to secure a more just, equitable, and democratic society. 
when we were founded in 1863, three years later, it was um, CTA, then called the California Education Society, that pushed for free public education for children. It was um, CTA that sponsored a bill in 1874 on compulsory attendance. We've always been on the cutting edge of doing what's right for children and for, for the public at large because that's a service to, to the community. Um, one of the things that's always been a challenge for the California Teachers Association is that we have many number one priorities. And while bargaining, while bargaining for contracts locally is, and dealing with grievance and, and uh, items of that sort in the local is, is a, a very much a priority, we've also always worked for the larger social change, worked on initiatives that protect human rights of our members, worked for universal health care for all Californians, not just for education members. We have a community outreach department that, we, that actually for a while was housed in UTLA. Uh, that is now statewide that, that works with local school districts to help them reach into the community and, and meet the needs. I have uh, programs in Needles as well as San Bernardino, two different, very different uh, communities who have different needs in, in the way that they outreach into their community. So I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I think that it's, it's all part of what the California Teachers Association was founded to do. And we work hard. We take positions on numerous pieces of legislation that come through. Uh, we have committees on civil rights and education, as well as teacher evaluation as, and academic freedom. So there's a variety, a very broad variety of issues that we attempt to uh, influence at, to make things better for our children and our members in California. I wonder if you could take us a little bit behind the curtain briefly, because you mentioned all the, num the many number one priorities. Um, when you guys sit around at the CTA board, of those number one priorities, where do you feel, which ones, maybe a couple, if you could name, where you feel you've really, you're, you're really in good shape, and, in, and which ones are the greatest frustrations, essentially? I think dealing with the budget, <laughs> <laughs> Let's just put that sure. gorilla on the table right sure. now. Dealing with the budget is always frustrating. Um, you know, after Proposition 13 passed and it, it really changed the way we funded schools in California, it was CTA that really pushed to get Prop 98 passed, which is now the basis for uh, education funding in California. It's meant as a floor, not a ceiling, yet repeatedly year after year we're fighting to get that floor for funding for our children and for public education. Again, a lot of the battle right now is around the money in Prop 98 and whether it should be suspended, whether it should be protected, and, and what schools really need and how schools should be funded, what does adequate and equitable mean. Um, I think that is some of our, probably, some of where we've done our best work over, over time and some of our biggest frustration. We've twice had to sue the state to get them to actually fund CTA versus Gould and then CTA versus Schwarzenegger to get them to fund Prop 98, uh, one in 96 and, and QEIA, the Quality Education Investment Act is what came out of the CTA versus Schwarzenegger uh, lawsuit. But that, I think that's in the nutshell probably the biggest, or, you know, our biggest battle is protecting and making sure that our public schools are funded and, and uh, at least at the minimum while we're still trying to push for a maximum. We did have an initiative that we were, were trying to float um, several years ago to try to increase funding for public education. That was the but split role the measure split that, role would measure. Have, uh, that would have taken some of the, pro taken rid of some of the property right. 13, uh, Prop 13 limits on 
property for what commercial and, and correct there yes prop 13 has never been rebenched for certain uh, large property owners it only was rebenched there was a sort of a loophole in that 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 allowed title transfer without actual actually having it rebenched so we it was looking at that but it did get pulled um, from all the political realities that happen way way over my head so uh, any chance that. that this current budget stalemate slash crisis might lead to you guys trying something like that again anything is possible okay. you know, I mean right now we just need to get a budget you know where we've got schools are in session everybody's in session now in in my area I have schools that start in July my last school started September 3rd so I've have schools that have been in for two months and still have no idea what budget they're they're working with and whether they're going to actually be there and have money to pay the teachers come October so um, you know, I think just getting this budget dealt with and, and we continue to advocate and work and, and organize our members to, to help uh, with along with the broader community to try to help pass the budget. Thank you very much. I want to get Steve involved in this. Um, your member, uh, your teachers at Green Dot Schools are CTA members, is that correct? They are uh, the Association de Maestros, which is a poacher small union in Los Angeles, and they are affiliated with the California Teachers Association and NEA. Congratulations. Um, now, I've heard and read you say that um, your efforts at education reform rest upon a progressive union reform movement, and and um, you've you know been working to partner with Andy Stern, who's the the international president of the SEIU, which is the largest union in America, and Randy Weingarten of AFT. I think we, there's a reference to that to promote a progressive vision education reform. What do you mean by things like progressive union reform movement. What is that? What does that look like? Well, you know, I, I think I've been served really well by um, not having years of experience in education. But, um, and I looked at it, when you look at it from a fresh standpoint, what's missing is, you know, you have all these tribes that all go at each other. And, you know, you have the, the, the charter school tribe, and then you have the union tribe. And they spend millions of dollars doing surveys, tearing each other down. Then you. And who gets away with murder is the status quo centralized uh, bureaucracy tribe, you know, who should be the common enemy of these other two tribes. So, and then there's another tribe of people who have no clout, which are the parents. And they just, they're, they're just out there. But you've got the PTA, but the PTAs are, are funded by, by the school districts and sometimes teachers' unions. So, and they're usually made up of people that get theirs. Even at Locke High School, there was a small little PTA um, before we took it over. And so you have all these tribes, and, and what's missing is, and even listening to some of the discourses, what's a clear, basic vision that all the tribes are going to get something positive out of it? You know, I, I, you know when I was younger, uh, I was raised by a single mom who was a waitress. And, we, and uh, you know, is that part in your life when you see your parents humiliated, it's, it, it's etched forever. And uh, for my mom, it was always about health care, always humiliated about health care. And then when I was 18, I became a Teamster. I worked at United Parcels and worked my way through college. And I had the best health care plan of anybody I ever heard of. And that made me a valued employee. And I worked my tail off for that. You know, when I was bussing tables and doing everything else I was doing, I always wanted to rip off the restaurant. I always felt like I was getting screwed over somehow. So that, that imprint was made. Um, and I didn't, really, I didn't really want the Teamsters to have a social justice or a foreign policy. or I wanted them just to ride tail for me and my work conditions, which were, were tough because, you know, you lose five pounds a night loading trucks at United Parcels. 
And I think the same thing, that clarity of, of what's a progressive vision and what a union's focus should be are all, all aspects of what Green Dot's about. I'm not a charter school advocate. I just think charter schools are the best place for R&D or what a school district could look like. And also possibly what a progressive new union could look like to, to, to match the uh, workforce. So I think in a small school of 500, where all the adults believe that all the kids can learn, and every tax dollar doesn't go through a school district which cuts out its 40% vigorous for 30,000 people in the city, which nobody can explain what the hell they do, that goes to a school site, we actually pay teachers more, and then we're all accountable to the parents, and the parents rally around the teachers. That's a clear vision. And if you have a union contract, which we've worked really hard to match that, um, that seems like a pretty good vision. And so what's missing is, you know, when I go to education things, there's anachronisms thrown and tribal this and, and you know, this, this initiative. I get it, and it's all, it's all worthwhile, and there's, I'm, not, I'm not dismissing it. But what's missing is just a clear vision. I think every neighborhood in Los Angeles should have a small, autonomous, community-based school where the teachers lead and we all rally around them and the dollars all get to the school site. And our union contract, which was, you know, UTLA's contract, not to the fault of them, is built in reaction to a centralized system. So if you decentralize it, you need a new unionism. And I think our contract, which is 32 pages, which gives up tenure but has just cause, and we've dismissed more principals in nine years than we have teachers, um, uh, dismissed two teachers, one begged to be dismissed for um, unemployment insurance. Actually, she compared uh, the principal to Hitler and went on a rage. And, but we've replaced four principals. And usually those principals are replaced because the teachers didn't feel like they were being challenged and coached enough. Um, and so what I'm saying is our contract, we don't count minutes and hours because everybody comes into a culture believing uh, they're all aligned. So um, we do a professional work day um, and we're accountable. But we pay our teachers in this city with less money, well, I think about 30% less money, 15% more to teachers on a salary basis. And I think a little bit better health insurance day to day because we do PPOs instead of HMOs. We don't have lifetime benefits because, you know, we have to live within our budget. We can't print money. And, uh, but if our, if our members came to us and said we want lifetime benefits, we've, we've etched out what it would cost and we could afford it. The teachers would just make a lot less. And, and that, that system seems to work. You've had some battles with the union of this fellow to my right. Um, I, 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 I can't help but recall a, a wonderful uh, back and forth that, it, that uh, extended into the pages of LA Weekly. Uh, uh, when, not the LA Weekly. Um, <laughs> when uh, the president of UTLA, G. Duffy, suggested that, you were, that Green Dot was scrim skimming the cream of the crop of students out of some of these neighborhoods and where you work, and you responded by sort of hypothetically suggesting that Mr. Duffy might be the sort of man who... Um, for polite ears, likes to lie down with swine. Um, I, tell me about what that fight looked like from your end. Well, I mean, I've kind of walked away. It was also, it was also a same week that Eli Broad gave me $10 million. So it was a little embarrassing to have, be misquoted like that. But I was <laughs> explaining to the reporters, you can't just let Duffy say, well, they th for every 10 kids they take, they, they, they come to the school, you only take three without... Respond, let me respond to it, because it's a little bit like Texas-style politics that Lyndon Johnson used to call it. When all else fails, just call your opponent a, somebody likes to lie down with pigs and clean that up. And of course, they put, they paraphrased that into something that was much, in fact, when I was so humiliated, I, I actually wrote Duffy a handwritten letter and said, you know, that's not, and he was very sweet and responded. The point is, the point of it is, is that, you know, it, it's interesting, and it, and, it, and it really does, and it frustrates me to no end, because I'm not, I'm not, as much as I seem to like, people think I like to battle, 
Last week, I opened a school in the South Bronx. $12,000 a kid compared to $6,700 here in Los Angeles. $12,000 a pupil with total and complete alignment with the mayor of the city, the chancellor of schools, and the president of the biggest local teachers union in the world. Now, how successful is that school going to be? It's going to be great. We pay our, we're gonna, I, I've, made, I've told Randy with our system, Randy Weingarten, I want to have the highest paid teachers. We started that school because of $12,000 a pupil. The, 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 the rookie in the crowd of the founding teachers is at six years um, um, of, of service. They're the best and the brightest. That school will be the best school and best charter school. Now, what people should look at is like, okay, well, that, that contract, and, which, is, which is geared very much towards, as a generational skew, which is the, the workforce that exists now, it shouldn't, be, it shouldn't poo poo the old contract. There should be a menu of choices. Teachers that have put in service and been promised lifetime benefits should get their lifetime benefits. But there should be a menu of choices if there's also a menu of choices of schools. What we should eliminate is the, is the idea that, you, that we're going to change public. That's why I, my friends who are in charter school movement, somehow that, that, and they, they all thought I was a moron when I helped initiate this union. And I would say back to them, you know, how do you, how do you think you're going to change a 100% unionized industry with non-union labor? That's even more moronic. But we need, instead of having this fight about a union contract that was written for an old system when reform needs to happen, um, uh, versus non-union. How about a better union? How about a, if we're going to create systemic change, we also need a new unionism to match it. And I think that's a progressive idea. Huh. Um, okay, so I've, I've started with this bit of happy talk from three of our panelists to sort of wave this as a, as a big red flag in front of our fourth panelist. Could you pass the Prozac over? <laughs> um, and, and wanted to, to, to ask you, David, to respond to some of what's been said and and, and, and particularly address, I mean, I know it's, it's part of Steve's model at, at, uh, at Green Dot to, to give a lot of, uh, of authority to teachers. And it's got a lot of happy teachers, at least the ones I talked to. And I know that, um, you know, allowing teachers to, um, you know, have more, you know, say over what they do in the classroom is, is, is something that uh, both CTA and UTLA um, talk about. Um, does that, you know, Tell me how you think about that, and, and also try to respond to some of the okay. things that have been said. So I'm obliged at first to respond, and then I can please, please thank do. Sure. Um, I think there was a teacher who spoke at the LA School Board today, who I think was insightful and troubling. Um, he said something as he was vouching for this partnership that he said, uh, it's "Like uh, teachers can only be." truly accountable to themselves. And I thought, he has perfectly stated it. That's it. He said, we need autonomy, and teachers can only be accountable to themselves. And I thought to myself, that is so off mark, but so on the mark. Okay, that is <laughs> to say, I, the first thing that came to mind was, okay, and I guess in LA, if all people were civically responsible, we wouldn't need an LAPD. Now that's kind of like an introductory social studies lesson that mm -hmm. this social studies teacher was, I guess, telling the board that don't give me accountability metrics, don't make me responsible, don't have 40% of your bureaucrats telling me what to do or, or any. And I thought to myself, but that's not exactly the way I approach teaching. Um, I always look at my, my, my peers 
um, at the very least, you, 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 you're in a, a profession where you're looking at somebody else's doings and the experiences. And, and there's wisdom from a new energetic teacher, but there was also wisdom from somebody who maintained their, their love of teaching and kids after 30 years in, you know, whether it's Locke or Manuel or Marshall or, whatever, or Bronx. I just, I think I'm kind of bored by the, the framing of the topic. Um, uh, our Excite us. Well, I, don't, I, don't, I mean, it's just, it's such a tired topic. I think, I think the real thing is that when I walk... Are you, are you here for the food panel? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're here for the Jonathan Gold yeah, panel? Yeah, exactly. Um, All right, David. Um, it's a pleasure to be at the Zocalo here with uh, others. Uh, we in San Pe Pedro. Uh, never mind. Um... <laughs> the, as I, and Josh probably experiences this, and Steve is totally experiencing it with his his kids. But you walk to school with kids, or or kids show up at school today. And my my little one was out uh, Friday and Monday with an illness in the first week of second grade, which has got to be like devastating to the 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 excitement to be lost in that. And and these kids are showing up in large part in most difficult places in America and, and, and uh, in, in other places. And they're expecting, like the adults, to, to maximize all potential energy to deliver to them, as well as all this technology we have. And we're just like so far away from that. It, so many minutes and hours and years are lost in young people's experiences that the tragedy, I guess, reduces us to a question, are teachers too powerful? It, 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 there's something else going on here, and I, you know, if you ask the audience here with about 200 and say, you know, how many of you have spent a full day in a school in a while and in the last year, and you might, I don't know, hit 30 percent, 10 percent, I don't know, what's your guess? But it, it just seems to me that this issue is not fix the union, that's not really, or fix the unions. There's something else that the adults are failing to do, um, as well as the kids, that, that, that they don't even know. It's so bad in many respects, even in the best of schools, that they don't even know how much their, their soul and their brain can actually take on and experience and, and be excited by, and to me, that's really the question is, is that there's a sort of a human, a kid potential being lost every single moment. And there's a lot of culprits in that. A lot of culprits. Every day and every hour there are culprits. And it's not just whether they're wearing a, a red shirt or a purple shirt or a green shirt for their union. It, it's, it's something else that's going on. And I don't know. I mean, that to me is really tragic on a daily basis. And that's the question we ought to focus on is, is how do we... As, as a nation, a state, or, or a school district, maximize the kid potential that's out there. Well, limited as we are by this, this, the topic of teachers' unions, okay. I mean, what, what should unions be doing? I mean, you've, you've, you know, you're on the board, talked about issues of teacher quality, teacher absenteeism, uh, need for accountability and measuring of student progress. I mean, you know, briefly, sort of what was your experience on those issues, and what, and what sorts of things could, could unions be doing to get at? You know, well, those issues you're talking about. I, I think it's it's around the the basically the cognitive and and the emotional aspects of a kid. 
I don't think we set ourselves up, and Josh was sort of talking about the social justice versus the bread and butter unionism, and, and I sort of say it's more, it's more about you know, how do you touch the kid's soul and their mind. And, and so I think we don't get any sort of real leadership or effectiveness about that from on a regular basis because the union, teachers union, whether it's CTA or UTLA, is often put in a sort of dependency role with management. That management doesn't, and you don't have anyone here, I, to some degree you have Steve as a manager of a system and me as a governance piece of it, but I think most of the problems are really on the front end uh, before the union even has authority. If you watch the Green Dot hiring of a teacher, it is a very extensive interview and community building process, not whether you have two members on the committee that takes an hour to interview somebody. It's an over and over uh, reiteration of what are the values of that particular community. And management has, in most school districts in California has not been receptive to, to even putting two out of five members from the teaching force on the selection committee. Mm -hmm. but, but it's even beyond that. It's just not getting representation on a committee. It's, it's building a sense of management, especially now in California where we have declining enrollment. We're not looking in LA Unified for 10,000 teachers every year. We're looking for like 1,500. And we haven't switched to the quality control issue, which, which you can see more in some of the, the green dot hiring than you can in a school district hiring. There's no quality control that the union has no say over, yeah. no say over the hiring of a teacher. No say really uh, over the probationary period if you talk to, to Trigg's dad who is an attorney for, for UTLA. It, it's this obsession with the permanent teachers who are you know a problem. But what I'm saying is there can be a lot more invested in the obtaining, the training, and the retaining of the most exciting people you could possibly bring to these young people's minds and hearts. And we are just not doing that from management. The Chamber of Commerce is so far off on those kinds of things. Uh, parents are not present in terms of, of that kind of uh, uh, finding the most... Th they're there when you ask them. If you ask them on a parcel tax, you know, if you want to attract the most attractive people you can get for your kid, they'll, they'll pay anything for it. Is, well, let me get to, back to Josh and, and Mickey to that point. Is there a role for teachers in that kind of, you know, frontline, you know, hiring and retention of, of you know, what, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I'm a little surprised by David's answer because <laughs> I was at a school um, that in 19, after the 1989 strike, we, we were able to, uh, we won the right to create a more democratically controlled schools. Uh, in LA, we call them uh, school-based management schools. And we, we, we created panels where, in fact, we interviewed teachers. Uh, we wanted to make sure that people coming in, now we didn't hire them into the district, maybe that's what you're talking about, but we certainly had a voice in de determining who was going to s teach across the hall from us. Um, and, you know, teacher unions have been uh, very, very active in creating peer review programs where veteran quality, experienced teachers work with uh, newer teachers, uh, mentor them, 
Uh, we spend in our union, and I think in most unions, uh, huge amounts of resources are spent uh, developing uh, professional development programs so that teachers uh, can go back to their colleagues and say, this is what I do that's successful in the classroom. Let's share ideas. That's a big, big part of what teachers do. Um, it, it may not get the kind of attention that other things like uh, negotiating contracts get, but we, we take huge responsibility for what we do in the classroom. And, uh, you know, again, as a classroom teacher, I always, I, I always wanted to have the best teacher across the hall from me. It wasn't in my interest to have a teacher whose classroom was out of control and who didn't know what he or she was doing. Um, so, uh, and frankly, my, my experience at school was that whenever management was left in charge of that, the decisions were always, always came out not very good. That we, in fact, had a better sense of what it was to be a good teacher. So uh, I think teachers are teacher unions are concerned about it. I think it's a big part of what we do. And uh, frankly, we would like to expand it. I think we would like to, uh, we know what we do. If you go to any school, I taught at a school with 150 teachers. Um, and so collectively, there were, you know, we had thousands of years of teaching experience. Uh, and out of that thousands of years of experience, people knew what they were doing. Um, and how do you know that? Well, because we, uh, I visited well, their... By what measure? Well, I went into their classrooms. I, we, you know, we, we were sending kids to Ivy League colleges. Um, and, and frankly, you know, you cited this gentleman at the school board meeting today who may have been talking about some sort of philosophical basis of ultimately everybody's only responsible for themselves. But most, the teachers I know, know that they're going to get evaluated. Frankly, I think it's an important... We would like to have meaningful evaluations where people come in and actually engage you in what, they're, in what you're doing rather than simply stand in the back of a room and say, listen, your, uh, you know, your chalkboard uh, is messed up or something. Uh, teachers benefit, like all workers, benefit from act, you know, engaging one another in the, in the quality Josh, of Josh, there are 18 small schools in this city, union schools, where the teachers own the budgets, they sit on the hiring committees, they, they, do, they design curriculum, and they're called Green Dot Schools, and you guys spent a hell of a lot of time fighting them. So it's, it's, that's the world of the, 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 the tribes that need to gather, the world of the bizarro. You know, instead of, you know, we're, we're aligned, you know, 95.5, which was a union initiative, drives our back office, you know. Aspects of the Goldberg Bill, of course you want teachers involved with the curriculum, instead of some centralized one-size-fits-all deal. And, and you have these things, but you guys are fighting Green Dot, which is a bizarre place. I can't even have dinner with Duffy. We're talking about in the green room. We have to find like a secret place to have dinner in case we run into a teacher and they know we're talking. <laughs> Let me, I and I come back from New York and I'm, you know, with Randy Weingarten, who's, the president, who's your boss. You know, it's bizarre. I want to get Mickey in on this because I know CT has, has well, fought for legislation on, uh, in this area and did. got really slammed got by slammed people like the, my newspaper, yes. old newspaper for this. That teachers shouldn't be involved in curriculum decisions, that it was not a place for decision making. Um, we, you know, we have school site councils that are teachers and parents that we don't empower and train properly. There's no funding to really, to really make those as effective and give those. I, I, was, I, chaired, I was president of my daughter's school site council for the last two years, and I provided most of the training for the parents and the teachers on there, and the principal as well, because she was new, because I had had extensive, you know, training on school site councils. But getting back to where we started on this, besides that, is about 
accountability about our, what we're doing to our, to our schools with the accountability system. I don't know any teacher that doesn't believe in testing and accountability because they all give tests, they all measure their students, they all want to see progress from September to June in their students. That's what teachers want. They want to see that growth. They, but what we have, the accountability system in, this, in place now makes absolutely no sense. It makes no sense for the, my daughter who I'm a bride from it, got a perfect score on her CSTs in math this year to have the teacher that next year not have a student like my daughter and have those scores compared because student, you know, Susie didn't do as well as, as Jenny. I mean, that makes no sense in the accountability system that we have today. We have scripted learning that, not, that bores the teachers as much as it bores the students. They're doing three hours of reading out of a, out of a teacher's guide with every teacher having to be on the same darn page when that principal walks around. They're not really looking to see it, what's happening. They're going, are they on the pacing guide? Does it match the standards? Is the standard written on the board? And is, are, is the teacher in A1, A2, and A3 all on the same page teaching the same thing on the same day? I have my daughter's uh, uh, fourth grade math, uh, all the students in her class. It took me about a year and a half to get this data, and I'm a school board member uh, from the school. Um, <laughs> And, and when, I, when I look at it, 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 it lays out item by item in the math in the class in, this, in a magnet school here, and it tells me which items, in fact, a vast number of the kids, well, a significant number, of, are missing. And then it will tell you in the back, you know, that they're having trouble with the use and interpretation of certain formulas and area and width to answer questions about quantities and their relationships. It tells, tells me things about uh, whether or not they understand vertical line segments. Now, now if, they all, got that, it, if they all got it right, I guess it, it's meaningless and we're not challenging them. That was my point. But, no, but, but, but what you're saying is they get, they, you, the teacher gets that data in the fall of the following year. She doesn't have those students anymore. Uh, LA, so that data doesn't drive the instruction at all. We're a advanced than that. But we so give periodic assessments well, every six weeks yes, in English and math. Yes, you can do that. But when, I, when you talk about the accountability system, when you, talk about, when you talk about um, the academic performance index, when you talk about adequate yearly progress under No Child Left Behind, and how you're, how you're deciding what schools work and don't work, you're not comparing the, a student's growth well, year that, after year that's after fine. year. So, I mean, that's so, so that's what I was talking about with... with and the only With redeeming the value of Sarah Palin is going to be she's going to be against No Child Left Behind. So so, well, can I give you the one thing I will agree with you? Find a qualified teacher in the 40th Island. One thing I'll agree with you on. But, you know, we in San Bernardino County, we developed a program called Survive and Thrive to work with teachers, experienced teachers who were burnt out and having issues. We sent them for a sabbatical for a week. We work with them with a lot of life coaches and a lot of people. And then we either rehabilitate them to go back into teaching or we help counsel them, the union and the district, out of the profession. We have done this now for about eight years. How many, we, been, how many have been counseled out of the profession? Um, I, 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 can, I don't know totally because I, I can't tell you what's happened since I've been there. I know I did, I did two personally in the four years I was president wow. and I had several others that were very successful and are, are now doing quite well. Um, we also negotiated as a county-wide uh, peer assistance and review language so that we had places to work where we all decided this is how we're going to do it in San Bernardino County so that we can work with new and uh, teachers 
who need some assistance, you know, to, to make sure that we're doing the best for our kids in San Bernardino County. Those are the kinds of things that are going to work. And it has to be, I agree with you, Steve, in one place that it can't be all the tribes, that management and, and, and the, the all the education partners need to come together to do what's right for kids, to do what's good. And we need the community. The community is part of that equation. You so probably, Steve, you probably agree. Thirty seconds, yeah. so we can go to audience. Yeah, questions. you probably agree. Probably on ninety percent of stuff. But I'll, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you an insight on what a teacher-led school looks like. So I came when I started Green. I'm, I'm an organizer. I don't, and I didn't know a lot about uh, uh, curriculum, so I had to rely on the teachers to help. But our best school right now is a school called Animo Pat Brown, which gives me great pleasures. And Pat Brown is probably the reason why I'm sitting here more than anybody else, who had a clear vision of what California schools should look like at one time. It was started by six block teachers. And um, they, they tested the kids coming in. They did a summer bridge, and they found out the kids are at 1% proficiency in math, One, which is pretty typical in the, in, in the neighborhoods we serve. So they came to us, and they said, here's what we, we always tried to do this at Locke, and we always got shot down. We want to integrate math in all the subjects, and we want to scrap ninth grade biology. Scrap ninth grade biology? What do you want? Physics. Well, the 1% proficiency, you're going to go to physics. Well, it's more physical. They get it. Okay, well, these are the benchmarks we need to hit, which are pretty low in math, but we'll let you do it. Well, what happened was I drive up to the school. There's, there's always 20 kids in the parking lot with goggles on and clipboards, and they're always blowing up crap, blowing up stuff, and it's coming down like in a parachute, and they're all writing it down, and, and this charismatic 